You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Friends, I am so excited to be working with my friends at Clona Willy. They are an amazing, amazing company. They are do-it-yourself or dildo-it-yourself molding kit company where you can create your own mold of a penis or mold of a vulva so you can create your own sex toy at home. That's really, really cool, and I think it's really, really accessible for a lot of folks, too. They're, they, their materials are ethically sourced. They're really, really, really awesome. They're always there to help. I'm so excited about this company, and I love that I still get to work with them. So if you want to create your own pussy or penis mold at home so you can create your own sex toy, if you go if you go to clonawilly.com and use the code darkpod20 at checkout, you can get 20% off everything site-wide. They also have a penis pump for those of you that might be interested, which you can get at 20% off if you use the code darkpod20 right now at checkout. I really, really love this company, and I really, really love everything they're trying to do. So if you want to create your own do-it-yourself molding kit to create your own Pussy or penis mold, please go to clonawilly.com and use code darkpod20 at checkout. Thanks, friends. Bye. Content warning The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends, and thank you so much for... Coming to the show, friends, my name is Andrew Gerza. I am your delectably, deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, started, shall we? First things first, I want to shine a bright light on somebody who has supported the show, a new supporter. I want to thank Michael Mayer for supporting the show with a yearly amount, thank you so much. I appreciate your support. And for your pledge, you'll get a shout out on the, on the air, Michael Mayer. Your pun is this. Michael Mayer, you're so there. Thank you so much for showing so much care to the show. Thank you, Michael Mayer, for your pledge. It really, really means a lot that you help keep the lights on in this show. If you want to support the show, you can do so in one of two ways. Go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you'll get the show completely ad-free and days early if I'm able to do the editing correctly because it's only me here by myself. 
And, yeah, you'll get the show ad-free also, so that as well. So, you can do it that way. You can support us that way. Or you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And I would love a review as well. So, if you're able to financially, thank you. And if you are not able to do so financially, that's fine as well. Thanks, friends. One of the things I want to do in 24 is bring back the Minnesota that we did a couple years ago. And so if you have a story about disability that you want to write into the show or talk about, send me an email to andrew at andrewgerza.com and just say Disability After Dark Minnesota. And I would love to read your story on the air, maybe during an intro or maybe make a whole show out of it if possible. I'd love to hear your experience of disability. Also, I want to invite you all to be a guest on the show because I love talking to new people and I love talking to folks about their experiences. So please email us to be a guest because I'd love to talk to you. And I'm feeling a little bit better now in my tummy, so I'm actually more able to do more shows. So please reach out if you're able to. One last little announcement before we get started with the episode today. I also want to let you know that I have ad space for your disability business. So if you're a disabled person or any business and you want to support the show, you can pay to have a 30-second to one-minute ad up in the show, and you can find the rates at andrewgerzer.com rates. And I would love to support your business and, and give you some ad space on the show. So email me if you'd like to learn more. Thanks, friends. But now let's get to the show. On the show today, I have a long-time listener, a first-time caller on the show, a friend of mine, and somebody that, I've, that I have become fast friends with, who I really wanted to have on the show, and somebody that I really respect and admire as a friend. She is someone that I call my symptom sister. We have started watching movies once a week over Zoom with some other disabled friends, and we call ourselves the Symptom Sisters. So I was like... Lorna is my friend, and I said, Lorna, you have to come on the show. You're so awesome. Come on the show. And she told me today over text when we were done recording that her coming on the show was a dream come true. So I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Lorna Craig. On the show with Lorna, we talk about her experience of having chronic Lyme disease, her experience also a little bit of bipolar, and what it's been like for her to perform wellness for people and how the performance of wellness has impacted her, plus so many more things. We talk about a lot in this episode. It was really casual, really cozy. We just had a chat, and we just there was really no structure to this one. We just chatted about our experiences of disability, and I let Lorna share how her, experience of, her experiences of disability had impacted not only herself, but also her relationships with friends and family and disability community, plus so much more. And I really, really enjoyed this one, and I hope you will too. So without further ado, here's my new friend, my symptom sister, Lorna Craig, right here on Disability After Dark. Lorna Craig, hi. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm good. Very good. Happy to be here with you. Didn't you like to hear how five seconds ago we were just talking and now I have my like pretending podcast voice on? I love your pretending podcast voice. Well, I have loved your podcast voice for a long time. So and here and here we are <laughs> here. We're doing it together. We, we audience, are. We've been friends for a while. We've been like closer friends this past summer. We did. Yes. Lorna was you were the production assistant. Production assistant? Um, yeah. 
you were the production assistant on on Access Me, the play that we did this summer in Toronto. And we've known each other for years, like in passing. We'd just say, oh, hi, how are you? But we didn't really become friends this summer until we like hung out at the play. And now we, now Lauren and I watch movies like once a week with our other friend, Kristen. And yeah. we like hang out and we're symptom sisters together. So yeah, we watch movies on Zoom and it's so fun. It's like the coolest, most accessible hangout ever. So I was like, Lorna, you're my friend. And we talk about chronic illness shit all the time. I was like, come on the podcast and talk to me about all your things. And so she was like, I'm nervous. And so I was like, I know, but you're cool. <laughs> so here you are. I'm nervous, but I'm cool. So here we are. I mean, isn't that how we all want to be? Well, I mean, on the snowy January day when we're recording, it's snowy and horrible, but I'm glad we're here together. And I love that behind you, I can see a vagina wall, a, <laughs> vagina, a vagina portrait. I love it so much. Yes, that's a painting done by my godmother, Susie Stewart. Uh, paintings of a bunch of yonis. It's very beautiful. Amazing. So many different shades and sizes. and It's just amazing. It's great. It's great. Okay. Um. Lorna, I know I know about you because you're my friend, but can you introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience? Tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Lorna Craig, and I work in theater. I worked in collaborative theater. I worked in professional theater in Toronto. I especially like telling, um, helping to, to tell disability stories. It's my passion. I also love hanging out with kids. So I worked a lot with kids, making plays with kids, even just being a nanny. I love to do that. And yeah, so I'm just here as someone who lives with a chronic illness. And I really, really love talking about chronic pain, talking about chronic illness, talking about disability, um, especially invisible disability, because that's what I live with and find really fascinating. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, we're going to get into all that stuff today. Um, when one of the things I love to ask my guests is the first like big question. It was like, can you share with us what your disabilities are and how they play a role in your day-to-day -day life? Yes, I can. So I have what is called, it sounds scary. It is scary. Um, it's called late stage chronic Lyme, which means it's Lyme disease, but in the last stage, there are three stages of Lyme disease and I'm in the last stage where it affects your body just more completely and it's chronic. So that's something I live with is people thinking that Lyme disease can just be like easily cured. But when it's in that chronic stage, it truly becomes like a chronic illness. Um, yeah, so, but that diagnosis didn't come for many, many years. And I was living with a fibromyalgia diagnosis. And I was living with a bipolar disorder diagnosis, which those two diagnoses together, you don't get a lot of like good attention from doctors. Yeah. With that. They're just like, oh, it's psychosomatic. So I went undiagnosed for so long. But they assume that because you have bipolar that the that the fibromyalgia is not real it's in your head you're making it up yeah they they just continuously were like you need to work on your stress levels this is yeah this is like a psychosomatic isn't it thing. cool when a doctor like barks at you to work on your stress level and you're yeah. like yeah that's relaxing you yelling at me and telling me to work on my stress level is relaxing me totally a lot thanks it's doctor. brutal it's so brutal especially because i just couldn't understand how my brain could have created the kind of symptoms that I was having. Like they were just so physical. Um, yeah. And because of that, I just took a break from the medical system for like 10 years. And that's how my Lyme symptoms got so bad because they just weren't being treated. Cause I just like, couldn't handle the kind of, yeah. 
Yeah. If you, you know, and that's, that's a shame if you had been able to go to the medical and access the medical system and feel safe to do so, think about how much, how much less kind of symptomology you'd have or how much, how much less pain you'd live with or how much less like worry yeah. you'd have because you were able to like, that's really shit. And it makes me really angry at the medical system again, as I always am. But like, yeah. seriously, wow. Yeah, it's it's really terrifying. And it like makes you imagine all the people in the medical system who are being ignored in that way. And and to the point where their illness or their condition reaches the point where it really changes the trajectory of their life. Like my life is completely and forever changed because of like those decisions that those people made. Um, and there just isn't a lot of awareness around Lyme. I think a lot of doctors either think chronic Lyme doesn't exist or they think if you have Lyme, then it should have kind of resolved itself. Yeah. So there's a lot of like misinformation around that. And like, I know people who've had Lyme and I know that it's not, it's not a one and done kind of illness. It lingers in you for a long time. Yeah. And, and, you know, symptoms, like in my case, symptoms can like come and go in a way. So like, that's very confusing as well. Like, you know, for half the year, I could be like traveling in India with very little like physical symptoms. And then the second half of the year, I'd be like in a mental health crisis because something that's really interesting about Lyme, because I have a co-infection um, called Bartonella. This language is also wild, um, but it affects your brain. And the normal like score for Bartonella is one or two and mine is 18. Wow. So I'm like, very high. I have it like so intensely and it really affects your brain. And I've had numerous Lyme doctors now and naturopaths be like, you know, your bipolar symptoms could have been, you know, in part caused by the Bartonella infection that you have. So that's, that's also wild. That's got to gotta be like extra frustrating. It's like the like, because of this infection and because of the lack of proper care, because of all these things, you're now dealing with like long-term mental health effects that they could have easily caught if they just had done their job. Yeah. And my mental health is stable now, but there was a time where it wasn't, and it would have been so valuable to know that I was uh, prone, prone to it in a different way, I guess. Like yeah. it runs in my family and I come by it honestly, but I really, when I think back on like episodes that I've had of symptoms, I think that if I had been being treated, have been treating the Lyme, maybe, who knows, maybe I wouldn't have had to go through, you know, three years, say, of like kind of being derailed um, by mental health stuff. So that's so like, it bothers me that we're in Canada and we're having this kind of conversation about like the mental health system and how shitty medical care is. Like everyone that's not in Canada who thinks that when they come here, Care is going to be great. I got a newsflash for you. It's not. It no, is. it's not. And I'm so privileged now since my Lyme diagnosis, my family has been paying for me to see a Lyme doctor and my health has completely shifted for the first time in like, I don't know, over 10 years. Um, and most people just don't have access to that. And there's just no support. Like I don't tell my doctors that are within the system that aren't private. I don't tell them I have Lyme. I say that I have fibromyalgia because if I had, say I have Lyme, it's going to compromise my basic care. Yeah. Um, which is wild. It's just like an ableist is what it sounds like. It just yeah, it's really ableist. <laughs> it doesn't sound like, wow. But that's, that's medicine for you. One of the things that I know that I 
really want to talk to you about because I think it's important is um, performing wellness. I know that like being being a disabled person, being a chronically ill person myself, like I know what it's like to put that mask on and to hide how you're feeling and to play to play well. And so what has that been like for you to perform wellness? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is like my favorite subject to talk about because it's so has been so relevant to my life. Um, so I, I first started having symptoms when I was 16 and it was overnight and it was like these really dramatic GI, GI symptoms, like stomach pain, just constantly chronic headaches, um, flu like symptoms. Like now I know that was the beginning of Lyme, but at the time I didn't know. Um, so I was getting a lot of tests at that time before they decided it was psychosomatic, but I think having gotten sick at that time, like I was telling a friend the other day, I wish I had gotten sick when I was a full adult, because I think I could have owned it a lot sooner and like found pride in it a lot sooner. But because I was a teenager really quickly, I learned that it it didn't feel like it benefited me to share what I was really genuinely going through because it yeah. made it feel so uncomfortable instead of me realizing, Oh, it's their thing. Like their discomfort is what it's about. I thought, Oh, there's something wrong with me. And because I had all this acting training was raised by actors. I could very easily pretend that I wasn't in pain, very easily pretend that I didn't have like low energy. And I thought that that was, I thought, wow, this is an incredible solution. I'm just going to pretend that I'm not feeling any of these things and that I'm not going through any of this. But of course we know like that doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't last. And it, and it's just wreaks havoc on your body and your yeah. mind. And you're I, these, you have these two identities suddenly. Um, like I was the person in my bedroom at home at night. And then I was the person, you know, doing the whole, I did a whole undergrad with chronic Lyme and full-time going to school full-time and I graduated top of my class which on one hand wow great good for you on the other hand terrifying yeah that I was able to do that and the mask let me do that and so like in some ways the performance is like like that must you must feel like yeah you should be applauding me for like all the ways that I hit it from everybody but at the same time like the sick version of me is like oh man I wish you could just have been sick and it would and they would have found a way around it for you yeah like I and then and then once that sort of survival mechanism is in place and it's fully you know who you are publicly it's incredibly hard to go back or it's incredibly hard to accept that like sick person yeah and let that be who you are and I feel like finally I am that person and I like love her so much more than I did that performative person, but it took a lot of therapy. It took like a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I have more empathy for myself now because I look back on that teenager who was just being treated horribly and I have empathy. Whereas at the time, I think I really felt like it was my fault somehow. And like, you're doing good if you hide it and it's better if you hide it. Cause nobody, will, I'll, I won't get in the way and I won't be a problem and I won't be a burden and I won't. Nah, nah, nah. Um, how, has the performance of wellness, how has that affected like your personal relationships, like friendships, family, that kind of stuff? I just didn't share, like, I just didn't share anything with anyone. And, and I didn't even realize that I was doing that because I was sharing, you know, about like um, all the surface stuff I was sharing. 
but I just wasn't sharing any of the real deep stuff of who I really was. Yeah. So it meant that there was just a superficiality in all my relationships. And this is fascinating because I had Ready. cut off all connection with my gut feeling. I was like, nope, not listening to you, not listening to you day in, day out. I had no intuition. I had no connection to my intuition. So I found I got myself into situations that were just not in my best interest. Like wow, friends, that is fascinating. So you didn't listen to your gut. So your whole, like, the gut feeling we get was not there. Wow, wow. Yeah, and, oh my gosh, I, I, I was living in Nelson, BC, and I was doing this, I was studying uh, singing, and I did a music theater performance, and they filmed it, and I watched it back, and it was like uh, I was just a head I was just a moving head and my body was not connected to it like even in my movements I could tell how cut off I was from how, my how performative you yeah wow and how performative I had been it was like it was like a puppet wow it's so crazy wow I mean that, that's I never thought about chronic illness and it just really is a like a puppeteer thing before but now all of a sudden I'm like yeah it really kind of is that way because you really have to like you really like it's like someone else is telling like when you're in, when you're having a flare, you're not in control of your body. When you're when you're hiding it, you're not really in control of your body either. You're just like when I, when we did when I did access me with the the crew this this past summer. Like I got on, I did my job every night. I did I did what I had to do. But there were nights where I wasn't really there. I wasn't focused on what I I wasn't paying attention to what I had to do. And like I get it, I fully understand that feeling of like. I have to perform now. And even when I got off stage, you know, because you, you you spend an hour after you perform, like in the dressing room, getting undressed, all that stuff, you're still performing. You're still on. And you don't really get to debrief until you go home. And then you're like, okay, I'm home now. I can be sick and I can be ill and I can be whatever I got to be because I'm safe now. But it is funny how we like turn that off as much as we can when we're in public. Yeah. And I think, I think that disconnection leads to not accommodating ourselves. Yeah. For, for example, my, all my theater classes at Concordia, when I was at, probably at my sickest, um, doing my undergrad, we had four hour classes sitting on a hardwood floor. Wow. That is so inaccessible to me. I need a chair with a back, with the cushion, like yeah. that doesn't work for me. And I can't do anything for four hours straight. But I sat there in so much pain because I wasn't able to accommodate myself. Like I just wasn't even able to, to access that. Yeah. Which is, which is so wild to me now to think of, cause you know, I, I'm much better at, at accommodating myself, but yeah, I think when you're, when you're blocked off from your intuition, it becomes just a snowball effect and it's like more and more dangerous all the time. And, you know, you wouldn't think about, like, I, I do think it's fascinating because you would not think about gut problems turning off that voice in your head. We think of, like, gut feelings as not only our gut, but also, like, our head telling us something. So I would never think that, like, oh, you don't have intuition anymore because your, your gut's not working. Like, that's so interesting to me. But it's it tells you, it reminds us how connected we are to our bodies even when we are disabled. I mean, when we are chronically ill, like, we have to be connected to our bodies no matter what even we wish we weren't that's right that's exactly right and that's what I didn't want to be connected to my body and I thought the answer was to be disconnected from my body but but yeah I've learned now that you know through an incredibly painful period of me 
removing the mask and then all the pain really like flooding in, um, I've seen that me feeling the pain like keeps me safe, lets me know myself, lets me be authentic with myself. And the, the for me at this point, like I've been in pain for 21 years straight. There's no days off. You're like, the pain is just constantly there in my back, in my gut, all of my arms, my blood feels like it's poisoned. Like it's just, it's horrible. Um, but it's now I see it as incredibly valuable to me because it allows me to make decisions. It allows me to decide what I'm going to do, what I'm not. Um, and that autonomy like has proven to be so much more valuable than that, like fake mask. Yeah. And I, I said at the beginning of this, like we watch a movie every week and we watch, like we, we watch TV over zoom. Like I think it's brought a lot. Like I think when I first, when I first met you, I knew you had a disability. I had no idea the extent of your disability. I had no idea what it was. I just saw you with a cane at the play and I was like, Oh, okay. They have, she's got something cool, whatever. I'm not going to be like, tell me what your disability is. But then, this summer we were hanging out a little bit more and I got to learn more about your stuff and we got to like laugh about it together. It was so nice to have that kind of friendship together because it's really hard to find folks you can laugh about this shit with. And so what has bringing your, as we move away from, from talking about performance and more into like, what has been, what has been like a, a cool part about friendship with all of this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Crip friendship. I feel like, has been sort of like a form of survival and and such a such a source of joy like i i'm only just beginning to have more friends with disabilities and um it's something i've craved and wanted for so long but for how how long have we've been friends so i've been really close friends with my friend liz who also lives with a chronic illness i think for like going on something like 15 years now um, and our friendship has been like so much more powerful than any medication, like any treatment that I could imagine because she's just like always there in the phone and she always gets it. And, and that is so valuable because it's not, I mean, I know that you relate to this too, like having a disability, it's not something that everyone relates to. It's not something that people can understand and, and, and people go to pity a lot. Yeah. And I just that I don't relate to that at all because I love myself. I love my life. I just am looking for empathy in the same way that I provide empathy when my friends are in a breakup or have lost someone that they were close to or like that's all I'm looking for. But for some reason, illness and disability, it just triggers like really strange um, behavior in yeah, others. People just get so afraid of it and they get so afraid they don't know what to do and they want to, they want to help. They want to, they want to make you better. And it's like, I don't want to be better. Yeah. I just want to be comforted. I don't want to be better. I'll never be better. It's fine. I just want yeah. you to be there while I'm not better. Okay. That's all I want. Like, yeah. Like I just really want, do you know what I really want? And, and what I, what I see in my, my friends who also have disabilities that is so amazing is just curiosity, just curiosity. I just want someone to ask me questions about my symptoms, you know, about what I live with in a way that's quite sort of casual. Yeah. Conversational. And I think, you know, we, we often don't get that conversational discussion. Like we outside of other disabled folks, we get, Oh, what happened to you? Or, Oh, what's wrong? Or, Oh, how do I fix it? We don't get like, 
hey, how's your tummy today? Oh, yeah, that's shitty. Let's watch a movie now. Or, oh, hey, yes. how's your, your, how's your, like, pain today? Oh, yeah, it's hard. Okay, let's watch a movie now. Or, like, like let's do this. And, like, we don't just, it's not, never just a casual thing. It's always this either catastrophic thing or I'm not noticing it. And it's like, I, I would, I want somebody to be somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Yeah. That's what I want too. And I, I, I want to be able to have an update with my non-disabled friends in the same way that they update me about their life. But I feel like I, I start to go there to do a health update and it's just so uncomfortable for them, for some of them. And so then I just avoid it and then they don't really know what's going on in my life. And then I'm just like a listener. And then nobody knows how to interact with you because they're afraid. Yeah. yeah. And like chronic illness is so fascinating. Like I haven't found a way to really communicate that to, to like my non-disabled friends or, or they haven't been able to imagine how that could be possible. But my friend Liz, that's, she's just so valuable because we really go there together, like talk about the, like how it feels to be in pain and how philosophical it can be and how it's like really fascinating. Like, I'm so grateful it's fascinating because otherwise it would just be um, meaning. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about that. How how does it feel for you to be in pain? Like, if you could, like, describe it for people. Because I don't think people... You, we can say pain all day, but I'd love to hear from you, like, your experience yeah. of what that feels like. Yeah, so basically, for me, for a lot of people with Lyme, their symptoms come on really fast. But for me, it was really gradual, which I think are there's good and bad parts to that. But I lost my ability, like, very slowly over time. But yeah, it started with, like, the GI symptoms and the headaches and the flu-like symptoms. And then over time, slowly, it started affecting, I started having pain in all my joints and all my muscles, like the muscles under my skin are like hard, like a rock. Um, and they're all, all up my back. And then I, I have found out I have three herniated discs in my spine. Oh, so fun. Back pain. Yeah. And what's wild too, is like, I had a snowboarding accident when I was a teenager and I hit my head really hard and there was like a lot of impact to my upper back, but Lyme loves joints that are like already in bad shape <laughs> fuck lime uh yeah so it's possible that the lime was just like really into that area of my body and just that's why it keeps getting worse um so yeah yeah the pain is just like feels muscular um but also like a sickly like um kind of infected feeling like like a sick i, I describe it as a hangover like and a car accident in one. So it's like a it's like a joint hangover. Yeah, like there's a lot of nausea. There's a lot of I had vertigo, a lot of vertigo. So like in a car, if a car like stopped abruptly, I would just start bawling out of nowhere because it felt like I was like punched in the gut. Oh yeah. Yeah, weird things like you get electric shocks randomly, like in your leg, or like random nerve stuff. Like I would wake up at I think I told you about this one. I woke up at six a.m. for like five days with like brutal nerve pain down my yeah. right leg it's just so random and then it just went away so the Lyme symptoms are just like endless of how it could affect you and I think that's it, it adds an unpredictability to my life that's so tiring because I think I'm okay or I'm a little more stable my symptoms are a little more stable and then boom I get hit with like one more thing um like in the summer I, I got Giardia from walking in a swamp Giardia is beaver fever um it's I got Giardia from doing something way more sexy than that. I uh, I 
A to do that once and got Jodia from that. You So, didn't tell me that. yeah, I That did. is so So, funny. uh, that was fun for You me. know what it feels like. It was, yeah, it was horrible. It was really like, I have never seen the things that came out of my body. I was like, what? How? Ew. But yeah. So, yeah, Jodia, I do not recommend. If you're going to be sexy with anybody in that way, wear a fucking dental dam and protect yourself, kids, because. That shit's not fun, literally. Yeah, and people can people can have Jardia and not have any symptoms. Um, I wish. Oh my god. Yeah, I know, but but I I what you know you you're supposed to get it from drinking contaminated water, but I I didn't drink any water, but I'm so with Lyme, you're you're very sensitive to like mold toxicity, parasites. So I just got it so easily, and then the GR I got a kidney infection from the Giardia. Oh God. And then I got another kind of rare UTI after that. So it's just like one thing after the other. So You're much. like I... the rare disability, like Pokemon Collector Queen. That's... Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how it feels. Amazing. That's exactly how it feels. Um. Anyway, so so yeah, it, it's really challenging. It really is like what's next, what's coming down the pike. Um. And how do you like that? What's next feeling? Because a lot of us with disabilities and chronic illness feel that way. How do you navigate that feeling of what's next? Are you just like, oh, yeah, whatever? Or is it hard to get to a place where you feel okay about it? I don't think I've found... I think I'm in the process of trying to find better tools to deal with it. Um, I think it. I think it makes me feel a bit frozen, especially in terms of applying for work or committing to anything at all. because I just don't know what I'm going to be dealing with next. And I don't know how my ability is going to shift and change. Um, but something I think I'd like to become more comfortable with is understanding that, you know, life happens for non-disabled people too, and they may commit to something and have to pull out of it, you know, and that's Yeah. just sort of part of life. But right now I kind of feel like, Oh, I'm frozen. And I, I can't really move forward because I, I just don't know. Like what I'm going to have to be dealing with, which I think is totally normal given the circumstances, Yeah. but I'd love to work on that so that I don't have to feel so restricted. Cause the thing is when you, when you do that, it's just isolation is a massive part of this because when you kind of decide, Oh, I don't know what's coming up, so I'm not going to do anything or I'm not going to try to seek a community right now, Yeah. then you're just alone all the time. And And I mean, I have been struggling with that too this winter. Like, part of me loves the alone, and part of me is like, the alone is so comfortable because I know what the alone is, and I know how my disability works when I'm alone, and I know how to navigate that, and I know how to ask for help when I'm alone. The minute I'm with somebody else, I'm like, oh my God, I have to navigate my disability feelings around you, and how do I navigate? So, like, I get the isolation, but I also get like, I love my alone time. Like when, when people leave, I'm like, yes, I can be myself now. Great. Yeah. And I think, I think that's so true. Like of people with illness, disability, like there are so many ways that we sort of have to accommodate ourselves differently when we're with others. Um, and so that I find that that is also tricky. I've been thinking a lot about interdependence and how I really want to move towards that more Oh yeah, and more. great. I I love that. I think independence Right. is this like white cis male myth that like doesn't work for most people and isn't true for most people. Like most of us need somebody and guess what? That's okay. And like 
the way we foist, I think, independence onto disabled folks is like the bastion of the best thing they can do is so shitty. I don't I don't agree with it. I think interdependence is the way to go. And like asking for help is a form of independence and that's okay too. Like Yeah. Yeah. And like now that I'm seeing that more and more, my life is getting just so much easier. And I forget, I totally forget that certain things are really easy for non-disabled people. Like la doing laundry for me is like a massive job. And like when I was really, really sick, I would need a full day before and after doing the laundry. And I do plan my life with a day of rest before and after. As you should. We all should be doing that. Family things. Yeah, we should be doing that. But it is, it does make it hard to, to plan your life and you just have like so much less time. But, but then I remember, oh my gosh, for a family member or a friend who's not disabled, doing laundry is like relatively easy. And like, they'd love to come and watch a movie with me and like help me with that. Yeah. But I just forget. Sometimes I literally forget because it seems like I can't, well, I can't ask them to do that because that's like so hard. It's like, no, with Lorna, it's not hard. It's and just hard they, for me. Yeah. And if they think, if you think they think less of you, they won't. And if they do, then you don't want them in your life. Like. If your friend can't come over and help you with the laundry because you're chronically ill, like, go fuck that person then, really. Like, if, if, or they don't want to because they don't want, like, it's different if they're busy, but if they don't want to because you're disabled, then, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't hang out again then? Cool. Yeah, that like, that's a big one is, like, losing friends, like, because there's just, you can't get to that understanding. Have you had that experience a lot where you've lost a lot of people in your life? Uh, yeah, I think I have, like, I, I don't know that I've lost a lot of really close friends, but I've lost, like, I used to know a lot of people. And I think that because of that, my energy was a lot more spread out. And I think that that benefited me at the time because I didn't have to get really close with any one person. Yeah. I was, I was in hiding. Um, but then as soon as I started kind of coming into myself and taking that mask off, just so many friendships fell away. I mean, in turn, but also because I just didn't have, like that's the other thing is, if, and I'm sure you relate to this, like if you have finite amount of energy, you you can't afford to keep up any kind of friendships that don't absolutely serve you. Yeah, yeah. It, just, it would make you too sick. Like it would just make me too sick. And I kept finding that like over and over. And the more and more, like, I spend alone with myself, I don't, I don't, this idea of, like, we have this idea of, like, close, close friends, and we put all this pressure on friendships to be the be-all and end-all of stuff, and it's like, no, they don't have to be the be-all and end-all, like, you could drop off for three months and I couldn't hear from you, and then three months later we could text and be like, hey, how's your life, hope you're well, love you, bye, like, it doesn't need to be this big, scary thing, and I think people drop away because they don't know the right thing to say and they don't know how to navigate that. But what they don't realize is that you're going to be disabled one day too and you're going to want me in your life somehow, right? So just try a little bit harder. Something, something, oh, that's so true. And something else I've noticed is I've had people in my life be like temporarily disabled and I'm like so ready to step up to the plate to like give them all my advice and like let oh, yeah. them know everything I know. They don't want to know. They don't want to know. And I don't, I think that's like a beginning stages of disability uh, moment. Like that's just ha what happens at the beginning. Yeah. They get and maybe too, they're like, I don't, I don't live in your world. 
Like I'm only, I live I'm only in this visiting. Yeah, I don't live in your world. I'm, I'm visiting. just visiting. So don't imply that I'm staying that long. Yeah, and in, you know it gets hard for them because I've had friends and family who've gotten temporarily disabled, and they'll say like, "Oh, it's really hard," and I'll get all excited to share them all my like to to share all my disability knowledge, and they'll be like, "Well, I, it won't be for long." And it's like, "But what if it was? Like, it's okay if it is." Like, you can well, like, welcome to the club. Be a symptom sister. You can. You're good. And like, it's funny to watch them get so scared when we've been dealing with it forever. Yeah, and I, I, I remember that it was so long ago, but I remember that initial feeling of like deep fear. And I think that's what happens with acquired disability or illness. So I get it, but I, I don't remember it. Like I just don't. I don't remember that part of it very well. Yeah. And then I don't have that much empathy for them. So that then that doesn't help. I get the fear, but I'm always like, listen, we're going to be in the same boat eventually, whether it's now or when it's your 85, you're going to be disabled. Like, yeah, might as well. Like, let's talk about it now. I know. I, I want to talk about it now. Yeah. And so like, I love talking to friends about it because our friends who are going through a temporary disability being like, oh, how does it feel? Oh, that feeling you're experiencing? That's ableism. Oh, this, this, the way the people are looking at you? Oh, yeah, that's ableism is what you're feeling. That's what it is. And getting them, like, I love it when somebody says I'm temporarily disabled. Not because I want to, like, <laughs> now you're one of us, but, like, more like, oh, cool, I get, you get to see what it is a little bit. And they do see what it is. And they do, I do know that they, even if they're resistant to the six skills or, like, suggestions, they do appreciate the curiosity. Because they're also seeing that there isn't a lot of that. Speaking of six skills, what are some of your six skills that you could share with us as somebody with multiple disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, the six skill that this sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. The six skill that I'm obsessed with right now, which many people know about, is pacing. So just pacing absolutely everything you do. Like for so long, um, if I had any bit of energy, I would use it all up immediately. My Chinese doctor, she would always say, you're spending too fast. You're spending too fast because I would just use up all my energy and then crash. Um, so now with pacing, it works like this. Like if I have some computer work to do, I'll set my timer for 25 minutes. And then once the 25 minutes is done, I need to do something else for 10 minutes. That's like resting, stretching, something that is going to be, let me check in with my body and go, okay, how do I feel about that? And before, if I didn't do that, I would just work for like four hours and I wouldn't feel my body. I'm so used to how this body feels that I can kind of block it out. And then I really suffer later. Yeah. So pacing is amazing for that. Like, and for cooking, like I do a lot of cooking and it just is so hard on my body. So if I can pace, it means I can do the prep one day and then cook the next day, um, which really helps. That's really cool. And I think finding ways to connect with your body in between like the busy, busy, capitalist hellscape that we live in like that's so important and I don't do that enough like I definitely have this winter I've been taking more naps like every day at like two or three o'clock so the minute we're done this podcast like I'm gonna like cool thanks and then have an hour I just veg out and like just yes. connect with what my, what my body feels like and I don't think we do that enough and I don't think we like because you're right I think as for me as a severely disabled person, like I know what the pain in this body feels like. I'm used to it. And I know how to like grid my teeth and move on. Yep. Yep. To push. Yeah. 
I know how to like push way through, but I have no idea how to like stop and feel it. Yeah, I know. I know it's, it's really challenging and naps are an amazing way to do that. And, and, you know, naps get such a bad rap. Like, yeah, I don't understand why when we were four, we wanted to stay up when they were telling us we were to have a nap at 2 PM. That was the greatest gift they could have ever given us. And I am mad that we didn't appreciate that more when it was happening. I know. I know. I hated naps. I hated sleeping at all, really. And now I have insomnia and I'm like, oh, man. Isn't insomnia the worst? I had some the other night oh. and I was like, this is, I want to die. How is it 4 a.m. and how have I not slept yet? What's going on? I know. I know it's terrible. And like, I did a sleep study to figure out why my sleep was so bad. This just says like the medical system is so absurd because I did a sleep study. And have you ever done one, Andrew? Uh, They wanted me to, but get this. Every time I go to do the sleep study, they tell me we can't have you in because we don't have a hoyer lift. Oh, I've been trying to do a sleep study, I swear to God, for about seven years now. And every time I go to book it, they tell me we can't book it in because you we can't get a hoyer lift and you need somebody. That's I do not like it cannot be that hard for them to get a hoyer yeah, lift. Yeah, I, I know. They're a hospital. Like what? I hate that. Oh, my gosh. That's so silly. So anyway, you, you had one. I had one and they like put electrodes like all over your head and yeah, they like watch you while you sleep or like can tell when you're waking up and stuff. So the doc, the doctor after was like, um, yeah, so you're, you seem to be like waking up every few seconds and you're not able to breathe for the first like two hours you're sleeping. It was like, excuse me, wow. like what? That's so dramatic. And and then he's like, oh, but you're sleeping the whole rest of the night. Like, okay, well then like, what do I need to change that? Like, do I need a, what are they called? CPAP machine or whatever? Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, no, we would just prescribe clonazepam, which you're already prescribed, so we're not going to do anything. Like, and what? so you're like, wait, so you're just going to let me not breathe through the first two hours of sleep and then hope that I don't die? Yeah. What, what? So I just like know that's happening. And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's not dangerous. It just wakes you up. Like the, but the lack of you waking care. up the danger signal? Yeah, like, like, isn't like that the what? Point? Yeah. I'm like, oh, we have to like look at this. But there's just so many things like that. Like you go for a test, you go for some procedure that you think is going to help. And then in the end, they give you a little bit of information, but then there's no real good solution. Yeah, that's that was me and IBS. Like they basically said, you have a gut problem. Best of luck to you. Goodbye. And I was like, uh, what? Like, I can't tell you how many times in the last three years I've gone to emergent care to be like, please help. What do I do? And they're like, we can't. We're not going to. We can't do anything. You're just going to keep pooping. Bye. And it's like, well, uh, what? Okay. And like now I'm finally to a place where I sort of feel better. I still have days where I flare, but I'm mostly okay because of laxatives. Thank God for laxatives. But like, did you, I feel like you figured that out. I figured yeah. it out. Yeah. I just tried. I was like, okay, I'm going to just try and see what this does. And I still have days where it's hard, but like, it's so annoying when you go to the medical system and they don't. They don't know what to do and they like they're actively telling you, we don't know, best of luck. Like that's terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. And something something I've had to contend with a lot and a lot of like people with chronic pain have to contend with is our pain tolerances are so high and we don't have like that re crying reaction to pain anymore that yeah. we may be used to. So yeah, in the summer when I had those like reoccurring kidney infections, I I think I went to the ER like four different times and they even wrote like they would 
I would say how much pain I was in and they would write on my chart, not in considerable pain because for doctors, there's actually like a document that they have up on the wall that shows like a bunch of faces. The, and yeah. It, yeah. Have you seen that? It goes from like, it goes from like happy face to crying face. To like the worst. Well, unless you're crying, you don't qualify for high pain unless you're crying. Wow. So they just didn't believe that my pain was as high as it was. But I bet um, you if you were a man and you walked in and said you were in pain, they give you something. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. I, like I, think I bet you. Absolutely true. And when I finally did cry, because my therapist said, you have to get in touch with that emotion when you're in the appointment or else you're not going to get care. Yeah. I finally care when i cried that's so, awful like that yeah we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to perform sadness to get care that's well, awful yeah isn't that, well that was what was so interesting is i had performed wellness for so long and then suddenly here i am performing illness even though i'm so sick but i don't look but i don't look sick at all i don't look sick at all like even when i look in the mirror when i'm really in big pain it it trips me out because I don't see anything. And I think for humans, it's like very fundamentally hard for them to believe something that they can't see in that way. Yeah. And I remember like when I first met you, you weren't using a cane. I think we were sitting at a table mm. prepping the play like years ago when I first met you. And so I, I thought, oh, yeah, she's not disabled, whatever. And so the, then over the years, I would see you with your cane and I wouldn't say anything. But I remember this summer when I saw you like actively walking around. And we were hanging out and like when I saw the cane, I went, oh, there's a marker of disability. Now I can like understand it better. And that's my own ableism to work through of like, if you didn't have a cane, that doesn't mean you're not still disabled the whole time. Yeah, it's true. But that cane has been such a gift. Like it helps me walk. It helps me with my balance. Like it helps in so many ways. Although I just left my favorite cane on the streetcar. Oh no. Oh no, wait, it's so pretty, but maybe it'll be at Lost and Found. But but yeah, the cane helps me so much. Well, I got the cane because I really wanted help walking because walking on any kind of really hard floor, like a mall floor or subway, is really hard on my joints. And I remember it took me so many years to finally try one. And I actually cried because it was so helpful. And I couldn't believe that I had not allowed myself to have one. Anyway, internalized ableism. But then, but the secondary thing that's so great about the cane is that it communicates to the people around me that, yeah, I have a disability, that I'm struggling with something, that I'm living with something. And it, what I have a really hard time with and what family members have actually admitted to is that they forget. They forget that I'm sick. They forget I have Lyme. They just forget on the regular. I can't blame them for that because they can't see. It's very hard to remember, I guess. I mean, I can. Can I blame them a little bit? Can I a little bit? I know. It's kind of, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It's not great. That was that's the devastating thing when people say they don't remember. It's so hard for me to hear that. I've heard that a few times. Lorna, and family and friends. Uh, it's I such a big to... part of my, it's such a massive part of who I am in my life. And Like, look, okay, I'm going to do a little PSA here. Lorna's family and friends. Hi. Hello. Just so you don't forget, she has disabilities the whole time. Just so you don't that she has disabilities all the way through. She is disabled. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great day. Hope you're well. Goodbye. There. Does that matter? You can play that more than whatever. That is so incredibly helpful. That is such a good P PSA. Where were you five years ago? Where were I you? I mean, five right? Where was I yeah. this past Christmas for you? Where was I?
at all the times when it didn't work. Can you just come to all my family gatherings and like remind them? <laughs> yeah, I can just record that for you on a loop and you can just have it all the time. That would be incredibly helpful. I would like have a speaker with me at all times. Don't think I won't do it because I can just lift that audio and be like, hello. Hello. No, please, please, please. <laughs> I need it. Hello. Lorna Craig is you can bring it into the doctors too. Hello. The patient <laughs> you're about to see, Lorna Craig, she's definitely disabled and definitely in pain. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> you should have somebody somebody should do that. Somebody yeah. should I should make that a fucking side hustle. Listen, yeah. If you want a side hustle, if you want a PSA from me, if you're listening and you want a PSA from me that like lets people know that you're disabled, I'll do it for you for like 10 bucks. Let's make it more. Yeah. yeah. But like, but like it's so silly, but we actually do need that. Yeah. Like we and we actually need advocates within the mental health or mental health, especially, but both and the medical system you know, showing up at appointments, like I would feel so much safer if I could go to my appointments with an advocate. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like someone who's cool and knows you and like knows your medical history and can just like interrupt and be like, I'm sorry. Um, can we just like talk about that a little more? I don't think that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. We need that. I think, did we just unlock like a a business venture together? Yeah. Is that my career path? Is that that what we should do? I, I like that idea. Yeah. Um, we so we've talked about your family a little bit. What is it like for you? And you can share with as much or as little as this as you want to. What is it like for you navigating your illness with your family? <laughs> Long silence. Um, okay, so first of all, I'll just say I'm I am really lucky that my family supports me in so many different ways and has been has been really supportive. But it's definitely been a learning curve for everyone involved in the sense that, you know, I think that when I first started using the term disabled and I, for myself, I like disabled instead of person with disabilities, although I would never. I'm happy you do that because I also love disabled. Yeah. Bad word. It's sexy. It's cool. Yeah. With the other words, like I had a company. For a long time, when I started doing advocacy, I started with a with a company called Deliciously Disabled. That's what I did for like the first ten years of me being in the city. So like, you compare it with cool things. You can say severely disabled. You can say delectably disabled. You can it can be different. There, it's cool. It's, but I share all those kind of jokes to share. Like, it's not a bad word. It is what it is. Oh, it's word. It's not a bad word. And also, I like. I like disabled because my illness disables me. Like, yeah. I relate to that. I'm not, because I, I was talking to someone else who has hearing loss the other day, and he was saying, I like being a person with disabilities because it's just one thing that defines me. Whereas I feel like my illness defines me 80%. It's 80% of my identity. Mine is like, like 100, mine is like 105. Right. That, exactly. Yeah. Like that's how, that's how big it is for us. Like it just takes up so much space. Like, Every single second of my day is influenced. No, actually, no, I would say 100% too, because there's not even one single second that I forget about it. Not one single second. Like it's So present. it's probably really annoying to you when your family forgets about it or like when someone you care about. Yeah, it, like, it I, is. I can't, I can't well, they it. don't want to talk about it. Like, why aren't you letting me just share talk with you? About- yeah, because like, it's not even, it's not a sob story to me. It's like, I'm incredibly strong. Like, I am so strong. I'm so resilient. Like, this is not a sad, to me, this is not a sad thing. 
and then it's very fascinating, but it's hard for them to see it that way. But yeah, when I started finally identifying as disabled it took me so long and I felt so much internalized ableism. I'm not disabled enough. Do I qualify? Like, you know, who's going to decide whether this is right for me or not or whatever. And then finally was like, no, this is totally who I am. Yeah. I, ha I, I had a family member that was like, I don't want to think of you like that. I will never think of you like that, you know, cause it's That's a bad so thing. And I don't want to group my person in, in with that. Um, and that was devastating yeah it's so hard because it's like how you don't know that i think that it's bad if i thought it was bad sure but i'm telling you that it's it's my identity piece it's who i am it's yeah. who i am it's who i am inside isn't that like the yeah inside my mushiest parts like and it's been so hard one to come to to own this word and to make it mine and to have that be kind of rejected was so tough that's why I love when we do sisters because we sit for like we watch a movie every week and then we sit for like an hour. We're all, we're doing it tomorrow actually, uh, but we sit for like an hour before we do it and we like watch. We just chat with each other about our symptoms, about disability, about feeling like a burden. And that's been something I was saying to you yesterday. Like I'm so thankful we have that because it's so rare to find a group of people that can just be like, disability sucks today. Let me share this with you. Yeah, it's so rare. It has helped my mental health so much. Like just having that like one night a week thing that I can do in my home. I don't yeah. have to go anywhere. No stress. Like no, yeah. none of it. Like, and I can share my symptoms and no one's going to be afraid of me. Yeah. And we and then the last minute we can say, you know what? We're having, I'm having a tummy thing. or I don't feel good. Or this isn't working out. Or can we move this? And all those are like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll figure it out. What's the next day? Let's, you know, it's so collaborative and so community based and like I love that it's Simpsons sisters I love that we can play with like we can talk about gut stuff we can talk about chronic pain we can talk about like ableism we experienced that day and nowhere else do I really feel I mean I do it publicly but it's nice to be in like a private group chat that we can just share that shit it's really nice it's so nice and and I, I just want more of that I just am hungry for more of that I also want interdependence like between disabled people like it's one thing to get support from non-disabled people that's great too but like we like Andrew you and I like we have different abilities yeah. so like I could be making us dinner while you're researching the Rogers deal that's gonna save me money on my phone bill like I mean I tried I tried I can't I, I'm, I'm still working on that although I'm kind of addicted to data but um but that's but that's isn't that such a good example like I can't do what you do yeah my brain doesn't work like that. i have bugs in the brain like i can't focus on that and i can't do what you do so we yeah that's why that's oh. what i think that's why i think both non-disabled and disabled friendships are so kind of powerful because like we need each other we do and disabled we people do. need each other too yeah we and do said, and it's, like it's necessary radical i sometimes yeah. think that disabled folks don't we don't show up for each other enough we're so worried about staking our claim and being independent and being the first and being like because we've been so downtrodden in this community we sometimes will climb over each other to get to the top and it's like the top of what like why can't we all be together and the more and more I do disability activism the more and more I kind of hate it because I'm like why are we fighting with each other over like, why can't we come together and watch a movie and be silly? And that's what I love about our weekly thing is we just, 
There's no competition. There's no like fight for the best. We just have, we hang out and I wish more disabled folks could do that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I really wish we could too. And I, I just wish there was more access. There were more spaces that would accommodate that where we could actually be comfortable together. I mean, that's what's amazing about Zoom. And what I love about it is that I can be in my own living room, in my comfortable, and, and I know that everything's accessible for me there. Yeah, like I don't, I, I'm looking at it outside right now and we're in Toronto and it's snowy here. And like, I don't want to go out, but I'm, I'm, able to, I'm able to sit and have an hour and a half conversation with you. I Thanks know. to technology, like technology is great for that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're so, it's been like the pandemic in that way, really like normalized doing something like this. And I'm great. I'm grateful for that. I'm not grateful for the pandemic, obviously. Like but. I wish that every, every major recording artist would be like, you know what? You don't have to show up. You can buy a ticket and there's a virtual version of the show. Like yes. I would lose my mind if my favorite artist yeah. did that. Also, so lucrative. Like disabled people have money. Like they yeah. want to. Lots of money. Lots of money. Yeah. Not all of us, but like a lot of us have a. Some of us have a lot, and some of us don't. But like, I would spend a hundred bucks to watch. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an artist I love right now. Like Kate McRae. Like yeah. do a virtual set. I would lose my mind. Yeah, well, and uh, I would come with you via Zoom. Like. So great. I watched um who did that a couple years ago. The beginning of the pandemic, Kylie Minogue had a virtual show that really? she pre-recorded and you paid like a hundred bucks and you got a ticket. And I went because I was like, I love Kylie Minogue. And it was the same show for everybody that bought a ticket, but like she it was a it was totally accessible. Yeah, that's a, and it was probably so lucrative because they don't have to worry about space. Could, yeah, like, it's just boom, and there's no like fire worries and there's no like I would love it. Seriously. Pink, Christina Aguilera, other artists. I don't know if anyone who knows them out there that's listening, seriously, do a virtual concert. Like one of my favorite Canadian artists, her name is M. Griner. She does them for her. Like she has a Patreon and you pay 10 bucks a month and you get to like have a backstage hangout with her. I've been following her since like the nineties. And so she oh. will do little concerts from her home every month and she'll record them. And if you can't watch, she will give you a recording for a week after the after the show and I love that so much because I don't have to worry if I can't be there I can still do the show yeah and you can still do what you need to do in between like yeah you, know, you can have proximity to a bathroom your kitchen your food like all of that stuff that makes our lives easier like that's I why I, I, I don't remember the last time I went to a concert I've convinced myself I don't like concerts because I can't go to them I don't I don't really like them either like I I, I bought yeah. It's just so uncomfortable. To be honest, I bought tickets to I bought tickets to Paramore this past year. Didn't go. I bought tickets to Sarah McLaughlin a couple years ago. Didn't go. I oh. bought tickets to like Christina Aguilera a couple years before that. Didn't go. Because I was like, I'm going to get there. It's going to be so much work for me to do this. Like, I can listen to the same song on my Spotify and be just as happy. Like, what's the point of this? Yeah. And it's not casual. It's not casual to get no. to a place like that. And then for me, like, I can't stand on those floors for like over an hour. I've had some experiences where I've had been able to have an accessible, like have a chair in the balcony or something. And that's been yeah. great. But um, also it's so loud. There's like people jostling you. There's lights and it's like, you know, very overwhelming. And then if you're, if you're like me, if you're wheelchair or you're paratrans, it doesn't, show up on time or shows up like oh, yeah. too early. Like I remember once I went to go see 
Dragonette, who's like a it's like an indie pop rock group in Toronto. I went about ten years ago. I went to their show, and the bus showed up like forty five minutes before the set was done. So I had to leave, and I was like, "This is, I'm losing out on my like. I don't want to leave this. It's no fun." So I think virtual concerts and like more virtual concerts in 2024 and 2025, please. Like, can we just, yeah. like we're in Ontario right now and the Ontarians with Disabilities Act is supposed to be like figured out by next year. One of the things I'd love for them to see in this, in this like beleaguered mandate they have, that's never going to happen. If you're in Ontario, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not, let me just give you a brief overview. In 2005, they created the, Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. They promised us that by 2025, a year from now, the whole province will be accessible. Anyone that lives in Ontario is like laughing their asses off because that's it's not going to happen. But I would love for them to say like, oh, one of the things we'll do is we'll make a mandate that if you're going to perform in Ontario, it also has to be virtually recorded. Wouldn't that be great? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And it's not that hard. It's, it's not that hard. And they, they will just, it's just lucrative. They'll just, it's, I feel like they would just make money off of that. They make so much money because everybody yeah. they couldn't go would be like, oh, I still have five days to see the recording. I'll spend 30 bucks. Yeah. And you know what I love about that is that I could, maybe I could buy a regular ticket and then the day of, if my symptoms are too unruly, I just can watch the online version. Wouldn't that be great? That'd that would be amazing. Be and I have that, would have that choice. That's how we did. That's what we should do. Like Lorna, we have. Are we going to make this happen? So we have two new career paths. Two career paths. PSAs <laughs> for your friend, family and friends. You need to do that. I want you to do that. I, that, I think that's a great idea. PSAs <laughs> for your family and friends. And getting everywhere, not just Ontario, but all over the world and all over the States to make universal recordings of not only shows, but also like plays and also like theater and also like, you know, art to be. Yes to be recorded like that should, should be standard it should be standard and i once like during the pandemic when all of that was happening there was so much more of that i thought wow this is amazing i hope it lasts i hope then, they keep yeah it and it didn't i mean they have in some ways but not really yeah in a lot of ways they just let it go to the wayside like it's still there but it's not really there um i could sit and talk with you for another hour about all the things this is so fun and just i know was, so fun it's such a cool chat um, do you have anything else you want to you want to bring up that we didn't have yet? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, I guess, like if if people who are newly diagnosed with Lyme want to reach out to me or talk or like have questions from someone who's been sick for a long time, um, you can feel free to do that. I mean, I'm um, underscore a a a h on Instagram. I'm not that active, but. I really think that something that's missing in a big way is like chronically ill people, disabled people, like talking to each other more yeah, and connecting over this stuff. Because as I said before, like my, the, my greatest medicine was my friend Liz over all those years. She just was like, um, made my, literally made my symptoms better. So shout out I to Liz. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Liz. For the hey. um, you're my light in the darkness. I think we really underestimate how powerful uh, solidarity and friendship is when we're experiencing these things oh yeah for sure and i that's why i'm so thankful that like we're friends because like literally i was saying i was texting the group the symptom sisters the other day and i was like guys this weekly thing we do is so 
thank goodness we have it. Like, I need it. I need it. And that made me, that made me so emotional because I felt the same way. I actually told my mom about that text. Oh, yay. <laughs> I was like, my new friend Andrew texted something really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was like in the subway, so frazzled. Um, and I got that text, which was so sweet. So that, that's what we need. We need more of that because We need like it's a community. We so need, powerful. we need, Yeah. yeah, totally agree. I could sit and chat with you for another hour because you're so great, but no one listening wants to listen to you just ramble on or do they? I don't know. Uh, but how do the people, um, how do they get a hold of you? How can they support you? How do they follow you? Yeah, I'm not online that much, but as I said before, like Instagram, um, I don't know, keep eyes open. I, I'd love to do like more community arts projects with people who, who live with chronic pain. So maybe I'll get to that one of these days and yeah, I think that's it. Nice. I will put, I will ask you in a second again what your Instagram is because I don't remember. And I will put it in the show notes and then you can all follow her there. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, Lorna Craig, you're my sibling sister and we will talk in five seconds when I press off. Thanks for being here.